This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Mariners Pod. Welcome back. Thanks for being here once again as the Mariners get ready to take on the Houston Astros for three this weekend. We'll touch on that coming up in just a few minutes. I had promised a conversation on defense with one of our favorites, Mark Simon. That's going to happen at the end of this podcast. Also, Rick Riz chats with Kyle Lewis, who returned the last couple of games. So that is great news. So we'll hear from Kyle Lewis. In the meantime, Mariners will try and turn things around, and they'll try and do it against the Houston Astros. Easier said than done. Both teams with an off day yesterday. The Astros sit in first place in the AL West. The Angels right on their heels, but the Astros in first, and they've played great baseball this year, 29-16 and 16 overall. They've won a couple in a row. Plus, plus 47 run differential. That's second best in the American League behind the Yankees, who are at a remarkable plus 73, which is pretty ridiculous. And plus 47 is third in baseball. The Dodgers are plus 114, if you can believe it. So the Astros continue to do it, 29 and 16. Angels, by the way, they've dropped two in a row. They're at 27 and 19. And the Mariners some work to do after the A's took two of three against the M's. Mariners in last place in the West entering this series. And it does not start. In a very easy fashion, Justin Verlander will take the ball. He's been excellent. A 1-2-2 ERA so far this season. He's just been dynamite for the Astros. Chris Flexen will go tonight, 6:40 first pitch. Saturday, 7:10. Logan Gilbert, Jose Urquidy for the Astros, and Gonzalez against Garcia coming up on Sunday as Marco gets the ball at 1:10 first pitch. And then a long road trip again as the Mariners will hit the road. Baltimore. Texas, and then Houston again. So a lot of Houston in this stretch. As the Mariners will look to get things cooking and and try and shake off what has been a tough month of May. Well, as I mentioned, some of the good news from this month, Kyle Lewis has returned to the lineup. It's been great to see him the last couple of ball games, and Rick Riz had a chance to catch up with Kyle right before his first ball game. Great to see Kyle Lewis back in uniform after the rehab uh, down at AAA Tacoma. It's been quite a journey. Kyle, number one, how does it feel to get back and get ready to make your 2022 debut? And how's the knee? Man, I'm definitely excited, man. It's been a long time. Been a long journey, you know, a lot of a lot of different things, you know, ups and downs and dark times, you know, bright moments. And so I'm just grateful for everyone who helped honestly you know assisted in that process as well but you know the process isn't done so for me it's exciting to be out here be able to start this new part of the journey as well but you know we just take it day by day as always you yeah. know you started your journey down at triple uh, a tacoma this year and your first at bat you hit a long home run what was that like and you had a big smile on your face then and you got a big smile on your face right now yeah that was exciting man i was exciting you know get to compete you know first real game in a long time and uh first at bat homer is something you know storybook thing so it's just cool every, every all those moments man you gotta 
try to enjoy them while they while they can because they, they they come and go, you know. And so that was uh, that was definitely special. Kyle, you have had an incredible journey ever since you signed with this ball club. The injury with Everett, where you really tore up that knee in, in 2016. American League Rookie of the Year in 2020. Last year, again, hurt May 31st, almost a year ago to the day. You said the dark times. How in the world did you get through those moments because there's been so many bright spots in between? You know, I, w- I would say, man, um, in those type of things, it's a big perspective shift. Um, and then I think over time, you know, you just, with so much time of being away, you just really learn how to kind of prioritize the totality of your life, you know, different areas of life, trying to uh, speak to my family and, you know, try to cultivate different relationships that you may not have the opportunity to. So, you know, I would say those kind of things started to help me out a lot. And then, honestly, just being back around the teammates and being around the guys uh, really gave me that momentum towards the end, you know, of that rehab process. And so um, it's just exciting to be around, be in a locker room, and, and that environment kind of gives you energy. Anybody special reach out to you over the past year or so? Yeah, too many to name, man. You know, <laughs> everybody, you know, try to show some support, man. I really appreciate, you know, truly everybody. But, you know, so many so many guys from different, all different walks of life. So uh, everybody, man, I'm just grateful. You're going to be DHing for a while. Uh, when do you think you might be able to get out there in the outfield? Because when we see in the outfield, there's so much ability out there. But right now, DH. Yeah, just DHing for for right now. Uh, trying to build up as well um, and see see where that ends up. But uh, yeah, definitely just uh, as far as the plan moving forward, we're just going to DH. Just going to try to hit, try to help the team the best way I can right now and uh, building up on the side and uh, see where that ends up. It's hard to call, hard to say. You know, these kind of things are so unpredictable yeah. um, as, they, as as we've seen up to this point. So it's kind of hard for me to say, but just going to DH for right now and, and, and give my best, do what I can. Sounds like a great plan. As we tape this interview right now, Kyle, looking out on the field, there's the best DH in the history of the game of baseball out there, and Edgar Martinez. Any tips uh, from Edgar about uh, DHing uh, first game back? I got to catch him. You know, I, we just, uh, just were able to say hello, so I'll catch him when we go back inside. There you go. What, at one point... During the rehab over the past uh, few weeks down at Tacoma, did you feel, okay, now I'm ready? And, and do you remember that moment? I would say uh, early last week I really started to feel like uh, it felt a lot better as far as moving around, as far as having a, a decent routine with how I'm going to prepare in between at-bats and everything. It started to uh, clean up, I would say, early last week. Yeah. There's been so many high points uh, looking at your very young career Let's go back to 2019 real quick. You make your major league debut against the Cincinnati Reds, first game against Trevor Bauer. Your first hit in the big leagues is a home run. What do you remember about your debut? Oh, man, just uh, <laughs> the thing I remember about the debut is I felt like everything was going so fast. Yeah. And so I just tried to keep it as simple as possible, try to, like, swing as hard as I could, man, you know, because <laughs> you know, at that time I didn't know what to expect from anything. You know, it felt like it was so many people. You could hear the cameras flashing while you're swinging and yeah. all that. So it was such a uh, unique experience at that time. So I just remember that, man, like being so kind of like almost overwhelmed in a way. But it's cool. It's cool to think back on it. Then you hit a home run your next game. As a matter of fact, you set a major league record for home runs in six of your first ten games. What were you thinking after the first week plus in the big leagues? Uh, just on just on uh, on clouds. You know, my family was there. Everybody was on clouds honestly I feel like 
we would go home after the game and just stare at each other like this is unbelievable type. Of, so that was cool, man. It was a definitely a learning experience to uh, to get out the gates hot, have the feel of a lot of the uh, I would say buzz and learning how to go go into the clubhouse and do these kind of things. So that was something that was cool, man. Just a little bit of success, you know, really give you a lot of confidence moving forward. I would say. And then in 2020, you played the entire season. It was a shortened season of 60 games. You played 58 games, and you were named the American League Rookie of the Year. What did that mean to you personally? Man, that was a that was a that was really cool for me personally. I felt at that time that uh, you know, having had went through so much minor league, um, I would say as far as missing games and things, to uh, even in a shortened year, just to be able to have that consistency of playing all 2019 and all 2020. And then getting getting the award at the end, it's just special for me just to finally be able to let my talent show a little bit. I was kind of waiting on that opportunity, and uh, so that I remember at that time that was something that I really was was proud of was just being able to actually show my talent, you know, be able to actually make some adjustments, and and um, so I was really happy with that. You know, you're back when you can go out there and be Kyle Lewis and not even have to think about what's happened over the past four or five years. Yeah, I would say. Uh, that, that'll be a moment that'll come, you know, getting getting back into the game, getting the speed of the game, getting my feet in the dirt, you know, getting on base. And so we're just checking off those little boxes and, and taking them as they come. What, what do you, you think is going to go through your mind in your first at-bat tonight? You step in that batter's box, you got your feet in the dirt, you're looking out at James Caprellian, first game back in almost a year. What do you think is going to go through your mind? Baseball as usual? Yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping as usual. You know, I'd... Uh, I think for me right now, the mission's not complete, so I'm trying to step right in and help. You know, I'm here to uh, I'm here to pick up where we left off and, and uh, help this team get some wins, man, get us going, and you know, just do what I can. You know, I know that um, I'm not expected to come in and you know be extravagantly, you know, doing anything, you know, above and beyond. Just trying to be myself and uh, help. And so I'm hoping when I get in that box, it just like riding a bike just be like uh, kyle lewis and and do your thing out there i tell you what young man it's so great to see you back good luck tonight good luck the rest of the way and for many years in the big leagues buddy yes sir thank you man thank you and one of our absolute favorites we talked some defense with mark simon we didn't know what to expect coming into the season especially with kind of the outfield defense with the mariners we have not seen julio there very much what's kind of your view of what you've seen from the Mariners defense so far, specifically the outfield defense. So I think the theme of this would just be a kind of a so far so good or so far, Hey, not too bad uh, kind of aspect to things in terms of things like a defensive run saved, or just in terms of turning batted balls into outs, the Mariners are fine, which they weren't necessarily. So last year, I think it's too early to, to make, proclamations on things like that, but certainly um, there's more to feel good about there. And, and Julio so far in center has looked perfectly good. Like there's no, uh, there's no reason that you would feel a cause for concern as you did uh, at various points with Kelneck last year. And there were, there were plenty of uh, batted balls, I guess that would serve as examples for that. That's a little bit of a long winded answer. Hopefully it gets to what you were talking about. No, that's exactly it. I'm curious, when you look at defense, how long does it take you to establish kind of the level of a defensive player? And how much does that change year to year? So the, 
The actual answer on that is probably multiple years. Um, the answer on that to evaluate the idea of what has happened in a given season, I think you can do that probably within half a season. We've done studies on that in the past, I know, where we felt like the first half of a season was predictive of what would happen for that player in the second half of the season. So if you're going to tell me that Kellenic through 60, 70, 80 games is at like plus five in defensive run saves, uh, I would feel good about the fact that he can be in that range, maybe not five, but maybe two. Two would not be bad. Eight would be great. You know, zero would certainly be acceptable. Again, I, I think there's there there are large error bars in certain cases on defensive run saves. They have to be careful. But I think generally that, you know, that half season gives you at least a feel for what has happened, if not necessarily what will happen in the future. One of the things when you watch a baseball game that's always tough just with the eye test is trying to figure out, hey, how much was it the team putting the player in the right spot? How much was it the player making the play? It, it's really hard to figure that out, but you and Sports Info Solutions, you do that. So when you look <laughs> at the Mariners, what do you see? So in fairness, I've done nothing. Uh, my colleagues have done a lot. Uh, I, just, I just look at numbers and make interpretations and educated guesses of what I see. So just to give an, an, an understanding of things, what we do is you've probably heard on broadcast TV, it's probably come up uh, in certain instances, out probability, like what's the chance that a ball hit to this spot at this speed isn't out. Um, StatCast has one way of doing it. We have our own way of doing it, takes into account for a, like for a ground ball, say, where the ball was hit, how hard the ball was hit, where did the fielder start uh, at the, you know, as the pitch was coming to the plate? How fast was the runner? Was he a lefty or righty? Was the runner be, uh, being held on first base or not? All these things are, are kind of factored into the out probability calculation. And what we can do is we can look at it because there are now a lot more cameras on the game. We can look at out probability as if, okay, what's the out probability if the fielder was standing in this spot five feet from second base? And then we can look at it from the perspective of what was the out probability for the second baseman, all second baseman playing wherever the heck they were going to play. So you're comparing a situation where you know where the fielder was against a situation where you don't know necessarily where the fielder was. You kind of put them in a generic average spot. And what happens with that is you get a number like, for example, we'll use J.P. Crawford as an example. Mm -hmm. There's a 70% chance if he's five feet from second base, there's a 70% chance that he makes the play on the ball up the middle. Mm -hmm. But if we didn't know where J.P. Crawford was standing and we only knew all the other things, there was a 40% chance of that play being made. So we know that by putting him five feet from second base, you just improved your chances of getting an out from 40% to 70%. Hopefully everyone can follow that. That's, that's a lot of numbers to digest. But we give the team a credit for doing that. You improved your player's chance of getting an out on that play by moving him closer to where the ball is hit. That allows us to look at the positioning. 
Then we can look at the skill aspect of it. J.P. Crawford drove for a ball and got to a ball that nobody else was getting. So he took a ball that was a 50% chance of being an out. And with his dive and great play, he turned it into a, an 80% chance of being an out. So he gets a credit for improving his team's chance of recording an out and then getting the out. You take all of that, every single play over the course of the season, add them all together, subtract out the ones that don't work out, add all the ones that do work out, and you get a number. And then that number gets converted to a value of to say, okay, J.P. Crawford saved 10 runs. J.P. Crawford saved five runs. The team saved five runs. J.P. Crawford also saved five runs. You, you have all these different combinations. Um, and that's kind of how it works. But we're able to factor in positioning uh, and then ability. And what we found with the Mariners, to get to your, your question, is we found that the positioning particularly when they've gone to defensive shifts, they've gotten very good value out of the defensive shifts that they've, that they've put to use. They might not always get the out on the play, but they've had good intentions with what they're doing. Uh, and thus, uh, I think their defensive numbers probably are a little better than what you might think they would be. So the aggressive shifting philosophy of the Mariners, I think thus far uh, it's, it's working out for the better. I am not convinced if there is some sort of ban on the shift next year, let's just for the sake of argument, say two infielders on the dirt on both sides. I'm not convinced it's going to have a major impact because you can still position guys essentially behind second base. Have you put much thought into what that may look like next year and the impact it may make? We have thought about it. I don't know that we've necessarily garnered what the impact of it will be, but I think there, there are teams that are preparing for it. Um, there are plenty of teams that keep two guys on each side that move guys around pretty radically. Like you'll see the third baseman play way off of the third base line, practically play a shortstop spot. Shortstop can be next to second base. The Giants in particular are a team that does this uh, very aggressively where they'll maneuver, uh, they'll keep the two and two, but they'll maneuver uh, in all sorts of ways. They actually do that a lot more than they do the three guys on one side. So I think it'll, it'll take away some things. It'll take away the really hard hit ball, the right field. That wasn't a hit. That's mm -hmm. an out by the guy that's standing in shallow right field. Cause there's not much you can do. Won't take away that com uh, the outs on that completely. Cause there'll be some guys that'll still make the play. So I think it'll take away a little of that. I'm not convinced it'll take away a lot up the middle because I think the shortstops for the second baseman are going to be playing pretty close to second base anyway. And then there aren't that many balls that are going to get through. So I'm not necessarily sold that it's going to be a hugely impactful thing. Although I guess at this point where, where we are with batting average, a mildly impactful thing would be uh, quite helpful. I think you're right about that. And speaking of that uh, conversation we've had so often is just we are in an era of just nastiness on the mound. I mean, the the amount of just filth, the pitches we see, it's a ridiculous time. And one of the conversations we love to have with you, what are some of the best pitches in Major League Baseball that we're seeing right now? I, I really enjoy this. And this goes back to uh, 2018, I believe it was, when I got to visit your booth and talk in uh, spring training with Rick and Aaron uh, about this very subject because they wanted to know about Felix. 
Um, right now, best pitchers in baseball. The cool thing is StatCast has the data easily available. So does FanGraphs. The numbers tend to come out pretty much the same or very, very similar. So Kevin Gossman's splitter has been awesome uh, this season. I think people have seen it. There have been articles written about it. This was true when he was with the Giants, uh, too. He throws a nasty split where the bottom just completely drops out and you can't hit it and you're, he's going to get a lot of strikes on it. He gets, when you're looking at nastiness of a pitch, you want uh, strikes and you want outs and you want damage limited. And the guys that can do all three of those are your superstar pitchers. Carlos Rodon last year, four seamer rated as the most valuable pitch in baseball by the uh, StatCast metrics. Lights out again this year. He's been awesome. He's got the slider that he pairs with it. Verlander's come back. He's right there too. Right there with Rodon, uh, still a super effective fastball, even at his age. This was something that I think there was kind of foreshadowing with Logan Gilbert and his four-seamer. Like last year, it was really, really good. And the numbers weren't great for him, like the 4-6 ERA. But if you looked at the most dominant pitches metrics, he was right there with the four-seamer. So it just made you think that like if he could have something else that went with it, that he would be in pretty good shape. And it looks like the, that that's happened for him uh, this season. So those guys, the others are Chad Cool slider is off to a really good start. Rocky's pitcher, uh, it's nasty, has a, uh, kind of a splitter kind of break to it. Mackenzie Gore uh, out of San Diego, the Padres' new uh, rookie, his four-seamer. Kopech's uh, four-seamer, which uh, you know he amps up there in, in volume. Joe Musgrove's slider is really good. Brad Keller's slider is really good. Corbin Burns with the Brewers' is cutter. Those are your names uh, so far, I think, that are at the top of the charts. 